Look at you. The student has become the teacher. Yes. All right, let's see if I can do this. Three, two, one. Welcome to the Politipop Podcast, the podcast where we take your favorite horror movies this month and discuss the social and political themes within. I am your co-host, Mike Booch, a.k.a. the Peanut Butter Penis Papa, and I am thrilled to be joined, as always, by my co-host, Ty. Hey, what's going on? And joining us today for the first time ever, film school graduate and esteemed guest, please put your hands together for Mel. Hello, great to be here. Hey, it's great to have you. Thanks so much. And before we get into the thick of it, we're going to ask you to listen to us and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you happen to get your podcast. Don't forget to go to our YouTube channel where you will be privy to exclusive content such as our outtakes and other behind-the-scenes stuff. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at PolitipopPod. Find us on Instagram at Podcast. Email us. Let us know your thoughts at PolitipopCast at gmail.com. And you can always find our show notes and sources at PolitipopPodcast.wordpress.com. Now let's get into this. Today we are going to be reviewing Halloween. That means the first movie by John Carpenter and Deborah Hill in 1978. The sequel that was made in 2018 and because, once again, I have a lot of time on my hands just like last week, a few other films in the franchise because I, I this is my favorite horror franchise and I've been, uh, you know, every, every September and October I'm always watching them. So that's my thing. Uh, before we get into these movies specifically mel i want to ask you what is your relationship with the horror genre are you like super into it or or it's not your thing or how do you feel about it no not necessarily i do enjoy a lot of the uh older things in the sense of vincent price bella lugosi uh however though when it really starts getting into more something that's relative or realistic that could actually happen uh i'm too busy sitting in my uh bathroom figuring out how to use my shower uh, shaving cream and my razor on how to use it as a device to kill someone. Uh, anything that could possibly be real <laughs> and happen, I'm not feeling that because, you know, those in the older films are either already dead in real life or it's too far removed. You're trying to tell me about some guy chasing me down, slowly walking down the street. Yeah, that could happen. Yeah. So, so it's funny because like, I, you know, I was afraid of, of, you know, of a lot of horror movies when I was a kid. Then I grew up and, um, you know, I wasn't. But then Halloween came out in 2018 and I'm still looking behind my my shower curtain and everything and like thinking like, oh, what if somebody was hiding in there? You know, is there anything in this in this uh, bathroom that I could use to fight them with? Uh, <laughs> except for, yeah, except for one of us, that's a very real uh, possibility. And uh, and it's, it's more likely you. And that's something that like, you know, every time Halloween... Uh, comes around uh you know my fiance and i like i'll try and get her to watch some horror movies she's a lot better with the supernatural stuff than i am but when it comes to the slasher genre because it's all about like guys breaking into your house with a knife and killing you that does freak her out because it is a real possibility for her that, that's how my girlfriend is too she is you know that's the stuff that gets to her is is the serial killers, the the home invasions? You know, we watch The Exorcist, and I'm I'm covering my eyes, and she's she's yawning. You know, it doesn't doesn't get to her the same. Well, way. I mean, there's only but so, <laughs> so many times you can watch Green throw up split pea soup over and over again. So I mean, this is where we are. That's true. And not to be an ageist in this call, 
but I'm the only one who was alive in 78 on this call. And I had friends who had older siblings who I remember us watching Halloween and all of it, like through the fingers in our hands. You know what I mean? Like completely, yeah. like, like what? And because, you know, kids were out trick or treating and, you know, hanging out and everybody's having happy go lucky time. And I grew up in the East Village and I was like, man, there's a guy looking like Mike Myers who lives across the street in my building uh, as a squatter. And I'm like, I can't mess with this. There's no way. Yeah. I, I, I think Halloween's definitely one of the scarier slasher flicks out there. Um, you know, I, I, I enjoy the horror genre a lot. You know, I've seen all the Friday the 13th, et cetera. But, you know, Halloween in particular is just something really unsettling uh, about about Michael Myers and about those films. Uh, I, I, it's very hard to watch them alone at night for me. So, uh, and, and, you know, he, he's just, he's terrifying. Yeah, he's a terrifying entity. I mean, he yeah, just I mean, doesn't talk. Book. No, he doesn't. Yeah, like, yeah. There's no character I mean, there is character to him, but there's no, like, you know, Freddy is always cracking jokes and stuff like that. But, like, you don't know what is going on in that in that guy's head. And, um, you know, I mean, Halloween was one of the pioneers of the slasher genre. Uh, you know, a lot of people say it was the first slasher film. Uh, I believe Black Christmas is credited with that. And uh, I still haven't yeah. seen Black Texas Chainsaw also Yeah, I was going to say Texas before. Chainsaw as oh, well. Oh, it did. I want to say that like was closer to torture porn, but it really saw was the was the torture porn pioneer also. Um, you know, it just became like how gory things can be. And I think, you know, that unfortunately that is a ripple of Halloween. Like a lot of people saw the success of, of an indie film like Halloween and thought, well, let's let's recreate it with, you know, with 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 Jason and, and uh and a bunch of other slashers. But they they thought that the formula was having, you know, young ladies get killed for having sex by a guy with a mask. And the formula of Halloween was more about the, you know, the, the two main characters. I mean, there's a few main characters, but really I don't think you have a good Halloween movie unless you have a good protagonist uh, in Laurie Strode and you have the antagonist that is, that is Michael or the shape as it were. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, you brought up a good point about, you know, a lot of the horror movies, you know, targeting, uh, you know, women and men having sex and, and, and that kind of stuff. And Halloween inadvertently kind of does that right in the first one. Um, a lot of the victims are, you know, kind of trying to party and have fun. Uh, and Lori's kind of like the, the do-gooder one. She's the one that, you know, studies and does her homework and, uh, and babysitting actually doing her job. And, and, you know, She's the one that kind of, you know, starts to fight back. Um, and I don't know if they planned it that way or if it just kind of worked out. But, know. you know, that kind of became a staple of the, uh, you know, final girl. Oh, no, because uh, what I was talking about, you know, also like the hills have eyes. Like when you talk and that really brought people the fear of getting lost. Those yeah. type of scenarios where, uh, again, you know, watching that kind of film. I'm like, fuck, I need to make sure my GPS is on and my shit's working. <laughs> you know what I mean? And if it's telling me to make a right down some stupid dark road, nah, I think I'm going to stay on yeah. 95. Yeah, they play on real fears. Yeah, when Rob Zombie's House of a Thousand Corpses came out, I must have been 12 or 13 years old. And uh, my father, Lord of the Rings episode, listen, he was shitty, uh, was like, hey, watch this movie because this could happen to you. Now, <laughs> oh my God. Oh, I'm geez. sure something unfortunate could happen to me if I got lost in the wrong part of the world, but um, I'm not sure House of a Thousand Corpses would happen exactly. But um, but Ty, to bring back your your point about uh, 
you know, the idea of of the horror tropes, because there are quite a few. The one we're going to be focusing on in, in this one is the final girl, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But um, there are a lot of tropes that come from Halloween. I think it was because of people's misinterpretations that the uh, John Carpenter and Deborah Hill stated that it wasn't supposed to be like, oh, if you have sex or drink underage, you deserve to get killed. It was more like everybody else was just too damn distracted. And Lori was the only one who had her had her eyes up. And in the novelization of the of the first film, too, uh, they do mention that, like, she heard a story about Michael and Judith when she uh, that day. And like in her head, she was already afraid, thinking like, oh, what leads someone to do that? Blah, blah, blah. So like she kind of already was looking out for him without knowing right. that 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 he was a danger. Um, that being said, Ty, can you tell us a little bit about the final girl? Sure. Yeah. Uh, I actually have a great article here uh, from the film school rejects and uh, it's kind of about the history and and a little bit of the transformation of the final girl. I'm just going to read a little bit from it and and we'll talk about it. Uh, So the final girl is an iconic horror trope embodied by strong female characters able to survive any bloody scenario thrown at her. These women have made the term final girl a badge of honor. The two words, which are emblazoned on t-shirts and stamped onto enamel pins, form a self-imposed title that many in the horror community use to describe themselves. It's a phrase that carries implications of strength, perseverance, and resilience. Uh, Where did the final girl come from and how has it changed? Film scholar Carol uh, Clover coined the term in her 1987 essay, Her Body, Himself, Gender, and the Slasher Film, in which she extensively writes about the slasher subgenre of horror and its key parts. She details the characteristics of the slasher, the place where each murder happens, the weapons, and the sole survivor whom she calls the final girl. Clover describes the character as such. She's one who encounters the mutilated bodies of her friends, receives the full extent of her preceding horror and of her own peril, who's chased, cornered, wounded, whom we see scream, stagger, fall, rise, and scream again. This is a character, is a woman who must go through hell and back, screaming, running, and stabbing her way to survival. She's a virginal figure that must slowly transform into a monster herself to defeat the murderer. Importantly, this character, despite her gender, must be relatable to the core audience of the slasher film, Young Men. She's not sexual and is rather shy around boys. Her name and appearance can be described as boyish. She's not totally feminine or masculine. The final girl is almost without gender. Uh, And one of the most iconic final girls is Laurie Strode in John Carpenter's 1978 slasher Halloween. She's the nerd of her friend group shown prioritizing her studies and babysitting over hanging out with her friends on Halloween night. While her friends are having sex and getting murdered for it, Laurie's babysitting her young neighbors. Her studious nature makes her the perfect final girl. Hers are both resourceful and virginal. The infamous villain Michael Myers doesn't stand a chance. Uh, Yeah, so, you know, the final girl is typically um, the one who kind of stays out of trouble the most, is usually the most aware, um, and, and, and seems to survive as, as her friends are one by one, you know, killed by, by whoever the killer is or monster and, and makes it to the end. And usually we'll have, you know, some sort of final climactic fight with, with, with the killer. Um, and I think, you know, back, back in the seventies, you really saw it as they describe here, you know, characters like Laurie Strode, a character from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, um, you know, as like a group of friends are young, they're kind of scared, they're screaming for their lives, but I think it's really transformed. Um, they kind of go into this a little bit in the article here too, into a stronger character now. You know, in more modern horror films, you kind of see this this final girl like really fight back instead of being so scared, they, they kind of take the fight to them. And you see that a little bit more in Halloween 2018, which we're going to be discussing as well. She's the damsel in distress. And even though she's fighting back, it pisses me off that she keeps dropping the knife and not making sure he's dead. And it doesn't (laughs) end because clearly 
she didn't finish the job because he's able to keep coming back. <laughs> yeah. She sees what's happening in front of her. She knows who's dead. She's got fucking rock and, rock and roll high school girl left in the <laughs> in the pantry practically sitting there dead. Her boyfriend's in the other thing hanging. The buddy's on the on the bed with her sister's headstone. And she doesn't <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like this needs to be like, fuck you, you need to die now, bitch. But instead, it's let me let him slash me. We get into this whole fight. I take out my needle pin. I stab him in the neck. And then I have his knife in my hand, but I decide to throw it on the ground. Not once, (laughs) not twice near him, but three times. Like, come on, lady. Get your shit together. That's the moment where you kind of scream at the TV or, or, or the screen in the theater, you know, where you're like, oh, no, like, he's not dead. Like, look at, you know, you, how many times have you heard people go, he's, he's behind you. You know, it gets you invested, right? Because, you know, they, they need to keep you on the edge of your seat. They kill him too quickly. It's over. But it can be frustrating, I'm sure, yeah. you know, to see that and be like, come on, like, you can do more than that. See, I'm the one that at that point is like, fuck you. You deserve to die. Like, <laughs> this is over. Pack your shit up. Because it's inevitable that he is going to wake up because there's no way they're going to let this end at this motion. But then you decide to run up the stairs, get the kids, get them out of the house to go across the street and you stay. Yeah. Yeah. That's, 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 that's weird logic. Um, now that being said, I want to, I want to bring uh, race into this a bit because you know, we were talking off mic, Ty, you and I about like how, like there are so many white people in the 2018 one and i'm like oh there's even more in the 78 one like i think maybe one cop was black but you know yeah the black dude with the cowboy hat oh well well, i meant even in the original one in 1978 like but you know but so this is a midwest town it's in the suburbs and you know i think that these people kind of don't expect this stuff to happen Lori is a 17 year old naive white girl who's never had to worry about a thing in her life um, you know, do you think that story is different in a, uh, you know, if the main character is, is black, if you have a black final girl or, or, you know, even any final girl of color, because, you know, I have plenty of Latina cousins who, you know, they probably wouldn't do the shit Lori did. <laughs> Being a woman of color, uh, and, you know, I don't know if, uh, Ty filled you in, but, you know, I come from an interracial family where my father was a Black, Black Panther and my mom was a hippie. And they were a match made in heaven and went off into the sunset. Oh, that's awesome. You know, when it comes to, you know, you're watching Candyman, you know, a movie that's in the projects, you know, going from all that stuff. And, and they're fighting to the death. And where they see the Black community really is more like, what, you're in my motherfucking house? Everybody's going down. Versus... <laughs> Uh, you just killed all my friends and you're setting up this very dramatic stage for me to see them. So I'm going to throw the knife next to you and scream. And I don't, I really don't like in the sense of like, you know, black people are more uh, have the ability of survival versus the lily white suburban situation where damsel in distress again, I need help. Please come help me. You took the words right out of my mouth with that. Yep. It's so you know, uh, divided when you think about it. I mean, if we go into where our world is and what our lives look like right now in the fucking dumpster fire of 2020, uh, it really goes back to, yeah, right? (laughs) It really goes, you see the comparison and you see the reality. Oh, we need to protect 
the suburbs from the urban environment that will come in and take your lives away. Yep. Absolutely. That's what they say. And really, you know, ruin the whole middle class, middle upper class situation. Uh, but yet we need to protect you from the black people in this organization, in this uh, organization, uh, Black Lives Matter. And, you know, but a slasher can come and want to kill all of you again. And you fucking drop the knife next to him three times. So yeah. it just really connected without being connected. You know what I mean? Oh, it, it absolutely is. Because, um, you know, they're, you know, these people might be afraid of like, oh, like, you know, black people coming into our neighborhood. And, you know, that's a narrative that's been given from the inception of our country as soon as, you know, while while the, you know, the slave trade was going on and then into reconstruction, everything. It's always been we're afraid of black people uh, rebelling and overthrowing us. But meanwhile, how many mass shooters are white? How many of them are white supremacists? How many domestic terrorists are, are white? And in this movie, in, in all of these movies, there is a white man with a very white mask on who is who you really have to be afraid of. But my, my only, I mean, not only, but then I get really pissed off in the 2018 version where they have the only black guy in the movie wearing a cowboy hat. I mean, let's be for real. Well, he is in the, he is in the Midwest. I mean, there's, and he is a cop too. So there's a lot of, um, What's the word I'm looking for? Assimilation. Yeah, assimilation, being assimilated. When I think about this part, though, you know, with the state, because it's in the state of Illinois, I believe they have the death penalty there. Fucking Mike Myers wouldn't have been killed. He doesn't get, like, seriously. Like, you know, the criminally insane are the criminally insane. Two, if he was a black dude, they would have shot him dead in the street. No one would have tried to save his oh, fucking yeah. life. I mean, Loomis did try. I shot him six times. That's what he says in every movie. But then the other fucking doctor <laughs> wants to become Mike Myers. Yeah. There's this obsession, I think, in our in our culture with with serial killers, right? And and uh, you know, there's people who are obsessed with them. They they fantasize about them, like they're fans. You know, how many serial killers would get Weirdos. love? Let yeah, you did it. You went through a stage, right? Uh, I did. You know, did. Where, where they get like they get letters from people. They they marry fans. Like it's it's a sick obsession. Charlie Manson had a massive following. Yeah, it's it's really bizarre. It's really bizarre. And I think that's where we see, you know, in 2018, that kind of comes into play a little bit in the story itself. But all of these uh, serial killers, you know, uh, Ted Bundy, who I always mention to my daughter, he graduated from her alma mater, Temple University. Oh, wow. Oh, word. <laughs> that's, that's great. <laughs> and just so you know, on the tour, they don't mention it. But uh. it's just, it's so <laughs> funny. Like, I'm like, you know, a, a serial killer went to your school, sweetie. She's like, I hate you, mom. <laughs> but... <laughs> But, you know, they're all, you know, well-bred white men who don't come from poverty, who don't come from urban issues, who don't come from neglect or anything of that nature. And they are apprehended. They are taken into custody. They are sent to mental hospitals and institutions. I mean, Jeffrey Dahmer wind up getting killed in prison, but he got there. You know, and when yeah. you think about yeah. these he type of situations, he system, made it to to, through, through the really. system to get there. And you're talking about a young man, Trayvon Martin, walking down the street with Skittles in his hand and a hood, and he's getting killed because he's suspected. You know what I mean? And then we have Kyle Rittenhouse, who thinks that he's, you know, the end of all ends and is walking down the street with his rifle or whatever it is. And the police ask him if anyone's hurt down the road or if he needs help or if he's hurt. They don't apprehend him because he's walking down the street with a fucking assault rifle. But if well, he's that an American was, patriot. 
Well, yeah, he's there to help them, and they and they know that. They could just look at the color of his skin and be like, oh, he's one of us. People don't really realize. Like, I saw a recent piece where they said, you know, the reason you don't see the KKK and the police in the same room is the same reason you don't see Miley Cyrus and Hannah Montana in the same room. It is all <laughs> relevant. <laughs> and, you know, this this whole, like, oh, well, there's good cops and there's bad cops. Any good cop that is willing to cover a bad cop is a bad cop. Absolutely. I'm, I'm going to bring up bad cops a bit in this uh, in this podcast, too, because uh, this, the 2018, there's they're you know, they're semi competent. But in the rest of the franchise, cops are completely useless, which is interesting before. Yep. Now, we're going to get into the movies, but I want to I want to talk a bit about how like the horror genre slasher specifically in some ways with the final girl trope they tend to be like the most feminist um movies uh but yeah but also you do have you know the the male gaze is very present in these films i took one feminism in film class in in college um no i took two but uh but yeah so the male gaze <laughs> is, is, is present in all of these films in which you know we're we're you know we're seeing the you know the young girls getting undressed and we're seeing them having sex and all this other stuff but not just that but we're seeing them get killed naked we're seeing them get tortured naked in the nude and it kind of i think blurs the lines between violence and sexuality and you know if anyone has a kink that you know i like to be choked i like knife play needle play whatever um you know it's not to kink shame you but i think there are you know i do think that is kind of counterproductive to the idea of the final girl and that some people might be watching these movies not for the final girl but because they get to see the bad guy do terrible things to the girls and they might relate more with those guys with the with the with the antagonist there's so many people that have tattoos of these serial killers, right? Like that, that just, you know, love them. They, they idolize them. Uh, and I think, you know, I, you know, I, when I watch these movies, I'm cheering for the people to survive, right? I'm like, yeah. you know, I want to <laughs> see them make it to the end, but there's a lot of people that enjoy the opposite of that. I think probably a, a large majority of horror movie fans enjoy, you know, watching all these teens get murdered and, and seeing what's going to happen to them. And, you know, I guess it does say a lot about, about people and, and, you know, uh, our thought process on, on these kind of things. Yeah. I mean, seeing a naked teenager brushing her hair at her vanity getting killed by her six-year-old brother and for and step back just into the filmography of it you know what i mean uh seeing that way at night in 1978 really there was no filming happening on that level where you're looking through someone else's eyes or from someone else's perspective uh other than maybe mike nichols in the graduate when he does the the leg shot through uh to dustin hoffman but right you know really uh it's huge that you know he's looking at his naked sister which is pretty much every pubescent or young boy's fantasy uh and now is cutting her up and you know killing her and i'm sure that there are more men out there who got off of that scene of the actual process versus any ill will or feeling horrible for the girl dying yeah, but it's that's a that's a good point of view, yeah. Yeah, and also they didn't make it a point to put in any teenager like actors who actually look like teenagers in at least in my opinion. I wasn't around in 78. I, agree. I can't tell you what 78 teenagers looked like, but even just in the 2018 version, I these they look like kids and it might be because I'm older now. Um but you know Sandy Johnson, she was a Playboy uh, magazine's Playmate of the Month for June in 1974. She was the one who played Judith Myers in the first film. So they specifically yeah. chose an attractive woman who had a breast uh, enlargement. 
Oh, did she? I thought those were natural. Her boobs were, I'm telling you, I don't know if she did or not, but those boobs are spectacular and perfect. And yeah, (laughs) not happening. I don't know. They have like that swoop. They had that swoop up, which, you know, it, it isn't very common, but it, you know. That's why they chose, a, you know, they chose a playmate. Yeah, they made sure that this was a hot girl being killed uh, by this kid. And, um, you know, I'll just bring up I'm going to bring up the the novelizations a few times. Also, I'm going to be going through all throughout Halloween because I just love Halloween. Uh, but uh, what they <laughs> do mention in a lot of the books is how Michael actually does have a lot of repressed sexual anger, like sexual aggression. Yes. And that's what leads him to kill. I don't I, I personally like the idea that he just kills to kill. Uh you know, but I mean, he is targeting though, like a, a specific group of people, and they're, and they're girls that resemble, you know, his sister more or less, right? Like he he's looking for that sister figure, um, even though you know they did kind of get rid of the idea that uh, Lori is is his actual biological sister in the new the new uh, sequel. But you know that was kind of a theme of of the movies. So he is targeting women of that age group specifically. It's just odd to me that they never really touch on. Uh, more of the information of, of her, she, like she was two when he was six, and then when he killed his older sister, and then the parents die in a car crash, and then you know they come back to it where she's adopted by this other family, and she just completely forgets everything that ever happened, and you know it's like this backstory that they really never delve into, which I would have actually enjoyed. Yeah, I mean that's why 2018 just kind of rebooted it. You know, they're like, we're just gonna sequel after the first one uh, and, and kind of get rid of that. I mean, some of the greatest stories do have that though. You know, Jesus was born and then he was 30 years old. We don't know. We don't know. Jesus is, you know, uh, Batman begins style training years. Um, <laughs> but before we, we, we keep delving into this film, Ty, do you have a plot for one or both of these? Of course I do. All right, and beware spoilers, listeners. I mean, we already threw some out there, but, but, but uh, yeah. there's going to be detailed plot spoilers. L- listen, if you haven't seen the original Halloween, uh, shame on you. Shame. All right. Go for it. Halloween. 15 years after murdering his sister on Halloween night, 1963, Michael Myers escapes from a mental hospital and returns to the small town of Haddonfield, Illinois, to kill again. Uh, and I also have for the next one. Halloween 2018. Laurie Strode confronts her longtime foe, Michael Myers, the masked figure who has haunted her since she narrowly escaped his killing spree on Halloween night four decades ago. All right. So, so I just want to take a moment, and this 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 hits home. I've mentioned it in previous episodes. How uh, you know I grew up in a house with uh, you know with mentally ill fa- uh, family. My mom was paranoid schizophrenic. She uh, had depression. She uh, she had psychosis. Like. It was really, uh, you know, really rough life for somebody like this. And, um, you know, specifically, I'm bringing up sources uh, from, from an article I found. It'll be in the show notes. Uh, but, you know, they kind of bring up how schizophrenia has been misinterpreted as like a violent multiple personality disorder. And, and it makes people act out and do terrible things when, in fact, it's more likely to hurt the person who has it most. And it's impairing their language skills, their sense of self, their perception, even their ability to earn a living. And, um, you know, the, it's always asylums and mental health hospitals that, you know, that are made to be like where hauntings and terrible things uh, happen. And, and I just want to say, despite the fact that this is my, you know, my favorite horror franchise and it's something I have to come to, to realize with the Batman uh, 
lore too is that he's always beaten the shit out of mentally ill people and uh you know and movies are some of if not the most powerful form of media because they really do influence people's ideas uh based on on what's in the film or you know i think uh former supreme court justice antonin scalia cited uh the show 24 when he was he was pro torture despite the fact that the cia torture report said that it that it doesn't work and you know i want to say uh personally when i saw the movie hannibal in 2001 uh, once again, way too young for this. I must have been like uh, 10 or 11 years old. I didn't eat for two weeks because there was a scene where he cuts a guy's brain out and feeds it to him. And I didn't I didn't eat for two weeks. So like, you know, these these are very powerful images that are uh, narratives that are put that are put out there. And it is it is important to recognize that while, you know, while Michael is a violent killer, he is the minority. We don't see any others in this franchise escaping from from Smith's Grove and and doing the things he does. So I, I just wanted to. But but, but he's he's not actually diagnosed with anything, correct? Uh, you know, like Doctor Loomis mentions that he he's tried to help with him. Evil. That's all, that's yeah, he's like, I tried to help him for eight years, <laughs> and then I spent the next seven trying to keep him in prison because he was just evil behind those eyes. So like, yeah. also yeah. just goes into calling him an it. He's no longer a he. Yeah. So he so has removed like, any humanity from the situation whatsoever. I myself grew up with, even though I had a, a mentally ill mom who who wasn't uh, violent most of the time. Uh, she. Uh, you know, I was still afraid of mental, uh, mentally ill people because the stuff my father told me. He would be like, oh, you know, they're dangerous. Like, when I would go to visit my mom in a group home or something, like, you know, uh, like, there are pe- patients there being nice to me or residents because they were actual, like, houses. You know, there are residents there being nice to me and everything. And, and he would be like, oh, don't say certain things around them. You never know when they're going to snap. Oh, they're having a barbecue? Don't eat their food. They don't wash their hands. Like, like. Yo, you fucked a mentally ill person however many years ago. <laughs> Why are you talking so much shit about mentally ill people now, man? Like <laughs> Um, but uh Weird. but yeah, so so we do have our our own uh our own stigmas that we that we do need to uh to get rid of. Um but uh did anyone have anything specifically about the first film because most of my notes on the first film just come from 2018. So No one believes her. And any of, no one believes anyone. That's my big thing. There is like some serious That's fucking great. trust issues throughout yep, both yep. of these films. The daughter in 2018 doesn't believe the mother and the granddaughter. No, and the husband, and he's the one to fucking go. Thank God. But <laughs> you know, nobody believes. And then just so you know, throughout this entire podcast, I will be referring to PJ Souls as Rock and Roll High School Girl. Got it. That's right, because she was in Rock and Roll High School. That's right. Yeah. So, uh, so then, like, Rock and Roll High School girl is like, no, what are you talking about? That's no one's following you, Annie. Oh, no one's following you. You're crazy. She's the first one to die after she gets her ass caught in a fucking window. Let's be for real about that one. Yeah, and he doesn't even kill her there. He kills her in the car for some reason. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, perfect. Like, if that wasn't the perfect setup for a murder, like, I would have killed her there just for shits and giggles. He just goes, no. And this guy is a sociopath. (laughs) I don't know. It's like he didn't want to kill the kids back then. That's the only thing I can imagine, right? Yeah, but he kills the the kid in 2018 in the car. Well, you know, by then he's he's full evil. (laughs) I'm, he's still that, developing that's a evil. little evil. <laughs> Doctor Loomis fails us again. But no, that's an interesting point though, because the the kids also, you know, they mentioned. I saw the boogeyman, and, and Lori's like, "Oh, stop! There's nobody out there." Well, yeah, but like after, when Lori's trying to explain it, there no one's believing her. But then in turn, she doesn't believe the kids. Yeah. Yep. And, and then when she's she's begging for help because he's chasing her, she runs next door and knocks on the door, and somebody they look at they look outside the window and they look at her. 
and they turn the lights off. And she's like, can't you hear me? She's like, help me. And they won't help her. And in this small niche neighborhood, which I'm sure everybody knows everybody and everybody's fucking the next door neighbor, they would assume that your neighbor would open the door because they don't even lock doors in these places. Like, mm-hmm. so I was a little shocked that the neighbors were like, fuck you. I mean, granted, if they were black and some crazy white chick was on the street <laughs> with blood dripping, yeah. for sure. However, I didn't see any of the races cutting through the window there. He might have been no, the black guy no. with the cowboy hats family. Who knows? <laughs> so so it's, it's great that you bring that up, actually, that like nobody believes her because uh, there is a, there's a couple of elements to this film that, you know, if. Once again, if you look for them, they're there. The number one thing is trauma, which, you know, actually, that's right in your face. The one thing Jamie Lee Curtis related it to was the Me Too movement. And I just want to read uh, an excerpt from one of her interviews that she had here where she says, uh, trauma is generational. I'm sure many of us have friends whose grandparents uh, or parents were Holocaust survivors, and you see how that trauma goes through generations. Obviously, that's a very heavy thing to reference. Uh, This is fiction, but trauma is generational, and it's passed on unless it's helped. Of course, now there are a lot of people that spend their lives helping other people through traumas, but I believe Lori Strode went to school on November 1st. I think she went to school with a bandage on her arm and maybe some stitches from the emergency room. I think her parents sent her back to school. And of course, two days before, she was an intellectual honor student, heading off to be the valedictorian of her class. She was going to get out of Haddonfield and go off to expand her mind. And two days later, she was a freak. And she does bring up later on that she she talks about Me Too and how... Uh, you know, this power of believing women and being able to take that, you know, take that power back and 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 turn the bring those aggressors to justice. And, you know, and that and while Lori wasn't uh, sexually assaulted, she, you know, she she was assaulted and attacked. Her friends were killed in front of her. It, it, it was an incredible trauma that she never did get help for. A big reason is because she said, like, back yeah. then. Nobody fucking gave you help like that, you know? Today it would be a different story. There was no rape counseling or therapy or anything of that nature to help with any traumatic experiences that you may have. I I also think it's interesting that Michael Myers kind of, he kills in a very intimate way, especially in the first one. You know, he, he spends a lot of time following and watching and he has all these opportunities um, but he wants to just keep like looking at them. And I, this kind of all begins because Lori walks up to his house while he's inside. Right. Oh, the drop and then the he key decides off that the, he's going the to, mm-hmm. to, to follow her and her friends for the, for the remainder of the day and evening. Um, and, and you know, he, he, he strangles her friends, you know, he gets up right close and he pretends to be the boyfriend of one, you know, he, he does like very like intimate, uh, you know, strange lot. And there's a constant shots from behind him as he's just looking through the window or hiding behind a tree. And they really build attention. Whereas like in a 2018 one, he kind of just gets down to business more. He's just walking through, just murdering people. Well, he uh, lost 40 I, years worth of time being in he that. He did. Event. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a revenge tale, right? Like it's kind of a revenge tale, 2018 in a way. Um, and whereas this one, like he's just a creepy stalker dude who winds up, you know, murdering these kids. Oh, for sure. I mean, you know, when you uh, think about like where he's walking through and, you know, just because she ever so gently places that key underneath the mat for, you know, the realtor, it turns into this whole like, you're my source. You were the center of my attention. Obviously, you know, whether he knew or didn't know that that's his sister is neither here nor there. 
which yep. also seems a little bizarre to me that she would be adopted by a family so close to the house that her sister was killed in and that nobody knows. <laughs> but they got, you know, they, they, they got rid of that, right? Like 2018, she's no longer related to him. Like that's, that's it, you know? So yeah. they, they were like, I guess they realized how convoluted the films got. Well, because uh, the know. 20, the, the 1978 one, you know, it's not even a part of the story. It's just no. the backstory. And no, I mean, let's yeah. be for real. Realistically, you think the people in that neighborhood, the housewives, aren't chit-chatting and gossiping about the fucking psychopath who lived around the corner and killed his other sister, and now she was adopted <laughs> by another family, and they live up the yeah. road? I mean, let's be for real. That would be the coffee click of the century. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, a big thing that Mustafa Akkad wanted to do, uh, you know, uh, rest in peace, the late Mustafa Akkad, he was one of the big financiers for the Halloween franchise, and he didn't want to do any Halloween movies unless Michael Myers was the focal point of them, which, like, you know, came back to what you said, Ty, about how, like, we really worship the killers and the bad guys, but... What made Halloween magical, I do I do think that he is a great antagonist. Don't get me wrong, but it was his relationship with the right protagonist. And, you know, after Halloween 3, they had a little girl for two movies. And, and uh, you know, in her foster family that she was living with, and the only reason she was being targeted is because she was uh, Laurie Strode's daughter. It was, it was a whole thing. And like you said, Ty, it got very convoluted. There was a cult that was brought into it. Um, but, you know, but, but. You can't just have the aggressor. You have to have, and I don't want to say the victim. You have to have the survivor be a very, a very strong character, um, you know. And that is, uh, you know, that that's what's important. I do think Michael Myers should own an Etsy shop. Personally, like today, that's something he would do. Because even in 2018, he does go trick or treating, right? He goes house to house, killing, killing, killing. Get this yep. weapon, get that yep. weapon, boom, boom, boom. But he does take his time with some of them. Like when he uh, when he kills Vicky as she's babysitting the best character in the whole film, Julian. Um, while while she's babysitting, like he sets her up right, in right. the in the bedroom to to be to be looked at. He sets up her boyfriend to be looked at, and you know he did the same thing in set in the 78 version. Like this is. It's not just like something he needs to do to get it out of his system. It's something that he enjoys and and takes pride yeah. in. I mean, his you know? artistry when yep. he starts placing um, yep. the bodies uh, in 78. And I mean, in 78, it's a lot more detailed. You know, he takes the headstone. He lays Annie on the bed. He puts Judith's headstone above her. Rock and roll yeah. high school girl is in that little closet cut. And then the boyfriend again is hanging upside down. <laughs> but not only that, but then he takes the mindset after he's killed these two people already um, in this house, that he's now going to take a sheet and put the boyfriend's glasses on just for shits and giggles so that uh, she thinks that's yeah, her boyfriend. Yeah. Yeah. And it's extremely he's very clever. clever. And for someone that they keep calling an it or evil, there's a definite uh, mindset where he is in control of the situation and is going to take every step throughout his process and enjoy it and you can see that happening especially when he is yep. putting together what his plan is and how he's going to map it out i mean even the fact that he drives right like he, yeah. he yeah, he's a he's been a he, he's been a mental institution for something and loomis talks about how he stole a car and like he doesn't know how to drive and loomis yeah, goes yeah, well maybe yeah, someone yeah, around yeah, here yeah. taught him and like that's like a you know a throwaway line but it's just like you know, he clearly, you know, he's driving around the neighborhood for hours. In a state you know, he, he knows what he's car doing. He's that nobody notices. <laughs> yeah. Actually, you know, question. he he's smart. I didn't just think of it until now, but um, 
I think Smith's Grove is like at least 100 miles from Haddonfield. Do you think he had to stop to get gas? <laughs> how do you think that? Well, actually, he was just a regular person. He didn't have the mask until he got into Haddonfield. No, so but he just... did have the hospital yeah. uh, gown on, but he didn't yes, get the overalls, the, the coveralls until the he killed the mechanic. So yes, which was wait, are we talking seventy eight or twenty eighteen? Seventy eight, because they do have a lot of. Okay, okay, yeah. So was I. I was just making sure because they have a lot of the same beats. Oh, uh, for sure. I was looking for yeah. when twenty eighteen, <laughs> watching twenty eighteen, because they have like a thing where uh, the nurse has a book of matches that says uh, "Rabbit Red House," and then when you go to where Loomis finds the mechanic with the uh, truck and he's dead and the coveralls are gone, uh, Michael had her matches and left them there. It's really nice too, awesome. that you notice those things because I think filmmakers put those in and because of the shock of what's happening on screen, a lot of people do tend to overlook it, you know, uh, so it's good to have an eye for that. And me, I have an ear for like audio stuff now that I've been doing the podcast and voice acting like I can listen to an audio book and know exactly when, you know, he, you know, the, the, the narrator had to do a pickup and they recorded with a little bit different level, like just stupid stuff like that. You end up knowing when you're behind the curtain. Um, now, there is this matter where Dr. Sartain in the beginning says uh, that he wants to study, like, evil. Now, I don't, I don't think it was meant this, this way, but to me that kind of seems like giving a voice to shitty people's opinions. Because in this country we have a thing where, like, we have to listen to everybody's opinions, everybody's opinions are great, but that's how we get fucking Sean Hannity, that's how we get Ben Shapiro. Fucking Tucker you know, like, Carlson. To- yep, Tucker. Oh, thank you. Yes, definitely. Number you know, one on the list. all these... Mm-hmm all these monsters sharing their opinions. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, do you, do you, do either of you think that's constructive at all? Studying evil or studying problematic takes? Well, I mean, again, for me, uh, it really goes into like, wait, Illinois, you don't have the fucking death penalty for this guy. Not that I'm a fan of the death penalty, but if someone's going to get the death penalty, I think Mike, Mike Myers is on the top of the list. Just throwing that out there. Uh, that's fair. but you know, the studying of evil, like, and as you start to see in the 2018 film, he studied the evil so much that he wanted to become the evil. And it really starts going into these people who are fascinated by this kind of stuff. And to me, this has everything written over it of fucking Trump supporters because they are idolized by pure evil. And they think that this is an amazing thing as they watch him. Uh, They think that he is, no matter what he does, they still want to be in his presence, whether he's murdered five people or given a whole entire group of people COVID or fucked up this country to beyond recognition. uh, But they want to still be in his presence. Well, I think like, you know, like you see like with James, James Holmes, right? The, uh, Mm -hmm. the mass shooter from the movie theater, the, 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 the Batman shooting. Yes, yeah, you know, they they like they put him in they put him in newspapers. They talked about him nonstop. It, it stopped being about the victims and started being about the killer. And I think we we do this so much in in the media and the news. We talk about these these horrible people and we make them almost iconic. Um, you know, we make them almost almost heroes to people. And you kind of see that in 2018, right? They're making a podcast these two people about Michael Myers and his killings. Uh, and, and they go to they go to first to Michael to try to get you know his side of things. Obviously, he doesn't talk. They go to Laurie Strode, and she's like, you know, what he killed five right. people. Why do you why do you want to talk about him? Why do you want to get his side of the story? Why do you want to humanize him? Which is what Rob Zombie did uh, with with his Halloween movies, right? Like humanizing this this killer. Um, and, and you know, I think that's 
that's an issue that we see in the real world, um, and it's a huge theme of, of this film. You know, Laurie just wants to be, you know, wants him to be dead. She wants to move on from him, but people want to keep him alive. They want to study him. They want to record podcasts. They want to talk about him, and they keep giving him, you know, power in a way, right? Like he he gets motivated once again seeing his mask. And I actually want to. I'll piggyback. Let's. There's a whole piggyback party. I'm going to piggyback <laughs> what Melanie said earlier when she was talking about how like you know, how how people are just obsessed with Trump and stuff like that. I do believe in my heart of hearts, Trump has got, if, if he wins in November or not, his mission has been accomplished because he's always wanted to be talked about. Like, that's his thing, his brand. And every single day he's being talked about. And that's, and you know, that's really what, what he loves. Well, I'm going to piggyback, piggyback, piggyback on what you just what? said. And my mom, <laughs> who is a staunch liberal, you know, open-minded, refuses to say his name. And that's good. Does she refuses say 45? For, for, yeah, she doesn't know. Actually, Ty knows what she, what my mom calls him. Ty, what is it? Oh, I forgot. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, Damn you it. fail. She calls Trump a warlock. Oh, right, right. The war, yeah, a warlock. And she has been Man, writing op-ed pieces so cool. to the New York Times for many, many years. And one of them involves him being a warlock. And he has cast a spell on people. Oh, because man. Well, I'm sure this, that I think his grandfather was a grand wizard. So Yeah, so <laughs> my mom is that convinced magic. that he is like the evilest of evil and that there is no way in hell these people uh, don't know how evil he is and what they are doing and that they too are just as evil and are allowed to come out into the world because this piece of shit is here. I would argue, actually, that Mike Pence is almost uh, maybe more evil or more similar to Michael Myers as he just, like, kind of hangs out in the background studying everything. <laughs> and he wants to, like... That's so true. He just he, he just wants to imprison women and... I don't know. I mean, I've yet to see a fly land on Trump's hair, but maybe because it's not real? I don't know. I think we should interview the fly. <laughs> if anybody has time, the Washington Post has put together an interview with the fly. Yeah. Amazing. Let's get that fly to the side of the story, please. <laughs> but, well, Basilbub always had flies around them, right? There you go. I, I do... Actually, I think Pence deserves the title of Warlock more because a warlock is an individual... At least in Dungeons & Dragons, you can correct me if I'm wrong, Ty, <laughs> an individual who has made a pact with a demon. Yes. <laughs> and, and therefore, he has made a pact with, with a demon. And, and this demon in particular, uh, which, once again, I'm referring to 45. Um, you know, Ty, you brought up Rob Zombie's Halloween. I wasn't going to, but I, I'm going to go into it now just because you did. Mm -hmm. It is... Now, I don't think that I empathized with my... I mean, at the time when I was in my serial killer phase, I did empathize with Michael. But now, looking back at it, it is interesting to see this um, this incredibly um, threatening and imposing figure be really just a little boy who was afraid and and was abused. And I do think it is important to look look at that. Not not to humanize people, but like if you learn the history of Donald Trump and learn about how shitty his, his family was and how he treats his kids the same way and everything... You know, I, I don't I don't feel sorry for him at all, because guess what? I had a fucking shitty, shitty childhood, too, you know, uh, you know, and, and I didn't have a fucking silver spoon in my mouth. And I'm sure that, you you know, you two can also, you know, relate to some extent. Um, but but it is interesting to just break down this figure and be like, oh, you're a little bitch boy. 
You know. Yeah, but, yeah, but it, it gives you that sympathy. I, and we see it in the news with, let's say, like a police shooting, right? They'll tell you about how the how great the cop is and how wonderful, you know, he's how much wonderful stuff he's done for the community, and you know, he's he he served in the military and this and that. And then, you know, if he shot a black man, they'll be like, and you know, the black man was arrested uh, for drugs in uh, 2016, and they won't do the same thing for him, you know. So I think it, it's that constant, like let's let's humanize the monster. Um, instead of, instead of the victims. And, you know, I, that's why I didn't like it. I don't want to feel bad for Michael Myers. I don't, I don't care what, what his childhood was. It doesn't excuse what he's doing. You know, we, we all had bad childhood, uh, childhoods, but it doesn't make us go and, and kill people or, or hurt people. You know, we, we have to learn from it and grow from it, but it, it can't excuse our actions. And I, I really felt like Rob Zombie kind of did that with his films. Um, I, I like the idea of, you know, he, he's just not a good person, Michael Myers, and we're not going to feel any sympathy for him. We're going to feel sympathy for Lori and her family because they're victims. That's a great point, and that's what the main, the main canon explores also. And, um, you know, they, uh, you know, this main canon 2018 does have a lot of really great homages to the ones they retconned. You know, we see the, the shamrock masks from Halloween 3 Season of the Witch. Uh, you know, we see that there's a bathroom scene in the beginning, which came from H2O. Yeah. Uh, you know, you and I were talking about it, like, because this is also where her alcoholism came from. Like, Halloween H2O walked so this movie could run. <laughs> yeah. And I do think in a lot of ways... It, it does hold up where they do talk about trauma. And at the time, Lori is actually in witness protection and she's dating a guy. She's the headmistress at this uh, at this this really fancy private school, um, which fun fact, she's also the headmistress in this uh, American horror story esque show called uh, Scream Queens. You could. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's violent and it's hilarious. And, you know, it's fun if, if you know, you just want to put something on in the background. But um. But yeah, but she's actually dating a counselor and he's very much like, all right, well, let's work through whatever you're not telling me. And she's like, oh, I've tried everything. I've tried everything. Um, you know, so actually, let me follow up with that with Karen, uh, the the daughter of Lori in the 2018 film played by Judy Greer. She she actually did uh, make it a point to change her life and and get away from the trauma that her mom projected on her CPS came. They said social services, but I know for a fact CPS came uh, <laughs> and, and took her away. It used to be, well, in New York City, it was BCW, Bureau of Child Welfare. Oh, damn, BCW. And then it became CPS when I was a kid. Yeah, and then I remember um, ACS. Ooh, what's ACS? Yeah, ACS is another one, like uh, child services, like American Child Services, and that it's, it's evolved. But back in the day, if someone yelled at you, BCW's coming, everybody locked their doors. Now, now it's just social services because they defunded it and gave all the money to the police. Well, yeah, because Ooh. they need to shoot all the black kids that are fucking in BCW. So, mm-hmm. Well, there you go. Yeah. The, um, but yeah, so do you think Karen has escaped this trauma that's, that's, come, that's come down from her, from her mother? Has she passed it on to her daughter at all? What do we, what do we think of her? Does she actually break the chain? Um, I mean, for me, I think she is pretending that she's broken this chain, but she hasn't even made a dent in it. And because she's pretending to have broken it, uh, she's caused more damage than than she should really realizes what she's caused. Uh, because she, you know, she is constantly bad mouthing, bad mouthing her mother, constantly downplaying what had transpired, constantly blaming her mother and telling her mother to get over it. Who gets over watching all these people get murdered and being chased consistently by a fucking psychopath who's wielding a knife? I mean, it's not something you just click, click, and it goes away. And that there's just really no empathy 
for what her mother went through and is just very focused more on, oh, how this affected me. My mother forced me to fight and to prepare myself and to learn how to use a gun and to learn how to, to fight myself out of a battle or from captured yeah. and said, you know, personally me, shit, if I learned all that tactical shit, I'd be like, yeah, come on, zombies. I got you. I'm all in. <laughs> like, I could figure out how to build a fucking moat around my house. And I'd be really appreciative of that schooling. And this one, you know, completely opposite, where I'm assuming she wanted to go to brownie meetings and fucking bake cookies. And her mom's like, no, there's evil out there. He's real, and he's going to come and get us at some point. So you need to have all of these situations together and have these skills so that you can protect yourself and your family. But instead her daughter's like, fuck you. You're not welcome in my house. Get out. Yeah. I mean, I think people dismiss her trauma a lot in this film. I mean, even uh, Vicky, um, uh, the granddaughter's best friend, right? Her boyfriend, Dave talks about like, well, you know, by today's standards, he killed five people, but like, it's not that big a deal. You know what I mean? Cause we're in a world of mass shootings, mass bombings. Uh, you know, not- I'm going to cut you off for a sec. Um, that I counted on a Wikipedia link I found. It's in the show notes. Uh, there have been 150 mass shootings between 1978 and 2018 when the movie came out. Uh, so, so just wanted to throw that right. in there since since you brought it up. Yeah, I mean, you know, exactly. Like you, you we've seen such a uh, a large death toll um, in this country that I think people have become numb to it. So, to to people in 2018, oh, yeah. you know, listening to Lori's story of how this killer, you know, killed her her couple friends and. Uh, you know, one random guy and tried to kill her, like, you know, get over it. Like, it's not a big deal. You know what I mean? Like, he had a knife. You know, who cares? I got mugged in the Bronx in 1991. My boyfriend at the time was uh, uh, a veteran, well, veteran, but he had served in the first Iraqi war. And him and I were walking down the street and two guys pulled guns on us. And, you know... I had no money because I left my bag in his apartment. He had 20 bucks and they hit him over the head. And the guy tells me, don't worry, I won't kill you. And they steal his dog tags and the $20. And, you know, that fucked me up for about a year. You know what I mean? Like I went to therapy and stuff like that because even though, because they were trying, they told me, get on my knees and they would put the guns to our heads. And I was like, I'm not getting on my knees. And the guy's like, what? I'm like, yeah, if you're going to kill me, you're going to have to kill me here. (laughs) And, but you know, whatever adrenaline kicked into my body at that time, completely left (laughs) once it was over. And I was fucking traumatized. It took me a long time to fucking, not even to snap out of it, so to say, but to become easier with my handling of it. And when people talk about, oh, people need to get over this trauma of being attacked or being raped or being home invasion or being hurt or having someone die or have someone being killed or any of these things has absolutely no clue what the fuck they are talking about. And for those things to consistently be portrayed that people just need to get over it and move on is just so unrealistic. Yeah, and that's that's such a great point because, like, you know, the idea is, you know, if, if we're in the city, if we're in the Bronx, okay, you know, in the 90s, you know, the Bronx, you know, now the Bronx, like, I, I mean, I've been in and out of the city in multiple boroughs. I'm not really, you know, afraid of going into any of them, but like, but, you know, but to, to feel safe and then have that safety taken away, it kind of makes you wonder, like, 
at any moment can my safety be taken away and and it's it's let you know i mean trauma is part of it but also just your animal brain is thinking okay i got to be fucking ready like that's what we do we protect ourselves and and that's what lori's doing and you know i'm not going to say i agree with either of them 100% i do think you do have to prepare your kids for stuff without traumatizing them but i also think that if you make it out of the out of that life and you get a psychology degree and you become a you know a doctor and you're helping people which is what karen does and granted we always have blind spots with our own family and our own parents i know that but why not try and help your mom through it you know and maybe she did and she got pushed yeah. away because you know, but but still, like, to even Ray, that fuck, Ray's fucking telling her, all right, don't cry, stop crying. Like, fuck you, dude. Like, the worst thing that happened to you today is you got peanut butter on your penis. Like, yeah. yeah, well, now he's yeah. dead, so, and hanging in the pantry, yes. so whatever. Yes. <laughs> yes, he is. You know, but the idea also is, like, um, this is why women don't come forward. When we do put it, when we do look at it through the Me Too lens, that's why they don't come forward. Every time they're trying to let their feelings out and tell you about the trauma, which involves them reliving it, you are constantly uh, trying to tell them that it was their fault or something like that. I'm not saying you in particular, because you did say that Lori made stupid moves as a kid. She definitely doesn't as an adult. I'll, okay. tell, I'll tell you that right oh, now. Oh, for she, sure. She, she definitely comes back. However... However, she there's no body. Nobody fucking sees a body come out after she burns him to the crisp. So, eh. personally, yeah. me, I would have fucking handcuffed myself to him and was like, look, we're dying together. Or I would have handcuffed <laughs> him to, seriously, like this is to the end, or handcuffed him to something. And I need to see, once everything's done, his crisp body. That's why we got a sequel on the way. Oh, you think? Yeah, Who would have thought? True. Mm. You need a sequel. But but that that is a great point too because actually at H two O you know every movie requires a classroom scene talking about a piece of literature that's connected to the film it's in <laughs> um, and uh, I I unfortunately I can't recall the exact piece of literature they're reviewing but in H two O they're talking about an individual who uh, who his family was actually killed by by the villain of the story and at the end his his redemption in taking down this villain was because he really had nothing nothing else to lose um, you know I think that you know Laurie. I think Lori fights hard because she does have a lot to lose, but also, like you said, handcuff yourself to him because she'll never be a human again. She is a monster. She has become a monster to defeat her monster. And I think we all do that to a certain extent. We do take on characteristics of our abusers that become a part of us. Yeah, I, I agree to an extent, but I feel like at the end, um, in a way, she finally got her family back. Like, Michael gave her her family back. All three generations. <laughs> some people go camping. Some people do that. All three generations take a crack at Michael, right? Well, whatever uh, works, yeah, Mike. Do. I mean, it worked in the end. So camping, yeah. Yeah. murdering my crazy brother, ex and uncle, hmm, it works out. I mean, that I do, I, honestly, I do think that's cathartic. And I know, I know it might be myopic to say, but like, because there's all the, oh, when they go low, we go high. And like, you know, if people are violent to you, don't be violent back and all this other stuff. And you see there's a moment where, you know, Allison is looking at the kitchen knife and she, and she has to save her mom. Yeah. And she still has the knife with her at the end. And that can mean a, num a number of things. Did she have to become like the aggressor in order to beat the aggressor? Is she now going to be constantly holding on to that like she held onto the bloody knife well she never feels safe again you know similar yeah. to that year after you got mugged in the bronx it's you know it's a lot to explore there 100 percent. and and you know i'm glad you you touched on that you know when they go low we go high and it really burns me because there's so many people out there during this time in our in our existence 
or quoting Dr. King and talking about, oh, well, you know, Dr. King was for peace, you know, and really almost, you no, know, a lot of people are putting up these fake quotes that never was said, but with Dr. King's face. And a real quote that came from Dr. King is, a writer is the language of a voice that is unheard. And that yep. is what Dr. King was about. And, you know, when people start talking about, well, you know, are you okay burning down something? You know, if this got burned down, if your house got burned down, if your business got burned down, I was like, if my business got burned down and I was able to fucking save one black life, the insurance will pay for the fucking business. I'll hold a Zoom funeral for the fucking windows. Enough already. Like, <laughs> this needs to be a realistic thing. Those are property and pieces. We are talking about human lives. And, you know, if you even go into Michael Che, he's not even talking about, he talks about we're not looking for equal rights. We're looking for just fucking mattering. And that's the, the bare minimum of matter. And how that can't be the main focus when people start coming back into this all lives matter. All lives can't matter until everyone is fucking seen equally. That's like, if that's your platform of all lives matter, you have no fucking clue. You have no ability to really realize what's been going out there for hundreds of years, let alone if we're just talking about our generation, but that you're so blind to fucking realizing that people are being killed in the street, but you want to bitch. With Yeah, with immunity. And you want to bitch about you can't get your favorite fucking soda at the grocery store and your life is ruined. <laughs> Like, come on, yeah. people. Enough. Perspective needs to be a part of this plan. For, yeah, definitely. My outlook on it is this. If they cared so much about the property being destroyed during riots, they would hold the fucking police accountable. It's not like they're yeah. just riding to riot. They are asking for something. And I mentioned it last week's episode. Frederick Douglass said that power concedes nothing unless it has to, unless there's a demand, unless power is pushed to do it. Facts. 100%. You know? And um, I know that wasn't the theme of this episode, but speaking of Black Lives Matter, can we talk about how white these films are? Yeah, I, I do just want to I just want to piggyback though real quick off of what you were saying about, um, you know, back that piggy. About, yeah, <laughs> my turn now. For uh, you two being vegans and me not a vegan. I know a lot of, a lot of pork references. Um, you were talking about how like Lori and, and, and her daughter and her, uh, you know, her, her granddaughter all had to kind of become this monster and that is a trope of the final girl right the last girl like i think that uh in the article i meant i mentioned earlier that i read from you know that that is kind of what makes the, the final girl survive she has to slowly transform into a monster herself to fight back and survive and we we see that with all three generations of these women at the very end um and you know at the very end of the film we don't know how much they've changed right like we we don't know what they're going to be like anymore now that they have you know, acted in violence, uh, may have taken Michael Myers' life, though, most likely not. Uh, you know, it, it's definitely going to change them. While, you know, Lori was ready for this, was her daughter, and especially her granddaughter, probably weren't, um, but they were all forced to, to take that next step. And I think that's such an important part, you know, for the final girl trope. And, like, they've really brought it to being a, a stronger character in, in, 2008, in the 2018 film, rather than just being victims. They're fighting back. Um, they're prepared. They're more ready. And I think that's important to show that as as we progress, you know, because the 2018 film is kind of, uh, you can see a lot of differences from the 1978 version, you know. It's definitely a more modern, progressive film overall. I mean, even the granddaughter's costume of Bonnie and Clyde, they, 
you know, she's she's Clyde and her boyfriend's Bonnie, right? You, we see this throughout the film that yeah. they definitely have, you know, shown just how much has changed over the years. Um, yeah, so I just I just wanted to touch on that. Do you hear the oinking or no? I don't I don't hear it oinking. That's where the, I'm about to piggyback. Uh, so. You know, when you talk about the trope of the final girl becoming the monster, I do think that in popular media, there's also a false narrative of if you do what they do, you're just as bad as them, which yeah. is what came from um, uh, last last week when we uh, did the purge election year. That's something that Roan says Oh, to Bishop. Oh, if you kill him, you're just as bad as him. You're just no, you're fucking not. OK, I do want to put that out there that like you may have to use similar tactics to beat your aggressor. But in the end, they are the aggressor for a reason. When you take down your aggressor, you stop there. That's the difference. You know what I yep. mean? It's not like, you know, let's you know, Mel, you keep you keep bringing it up into real life. So I'm going to do that, too. Right. It's not like people are being anarchists and being violent and out in the streets because they want to burn everything down. It's that this system is fucked. And it needs a com- it needs a complete uh, re- reconstruction. Well, well, not to use the term reconstruction mm-hmm. historically, but it needs a complete overhaul. It needs a facelift, yes. whatever you whatever you want to call it. And it's not like they're going to keep burning stuff down. And, and, and once again, that's the narrative of those in power. You know, it, it, people could be seen marching and they'll call it a riot. What were you saying, Mel? No, it's like these people who these morons who believe like Antifa is an organization, like they serve fucking tea and cookies at the meeting. It's like they have no idea the basis of anti-fascism. They have no clue. They've never fought in these situations, nor have they been aware of what this looks like. You know, I have had a situation where in my past, you know, I've had people complain in my career uh, about very minute things. And I, I could tell you one where someone was complaining so intensely on how this beverage was not available at this time, and it was the worst thing in life that he has ever heard. And I just stopped and I looked. I said, you want to know what the worst thing I ever heard? Darfur. Rwanda. And he looks at me, and I'm like, you're really going to say this is the worst thing you have ever heard? That's your perspective in this world? Granted, I don't work for that company anymore. However, (laughs) I'm just like, you know, when it comes to those type of situations where there's just no ability to get it and I have to tell you Mike like I am to the point where I am emotionally exhausted with trying to get them to fucking get it you're not alone you're really not it's just so overwhelming to me and I personally in my lifetime never would have thought that this is something that we would still be discussing at this level, that this would still be an issue that needs to continuously be discussed and that our brothers and sisters and like-minded people out in the world right now are continuously fighting a great fight with zero understanding from the outside entities and rather calling them uh, you know, people are calling them the Bolsheviks. They don't even know who the fucking Bolsheviks are. You know what I mean? Like, come on. <laughs> yeah. Like, you don't know they what they were the fighting commies. for. They they, they were fighting really for are. things. You know what I mean? And that's a hundred years ago, yeah. and they were fighting and they were rioting because they wanted their equal rights. And this is where people just get lost. They just hear these words and they hear these trigger words and they hear these drips and drabs of bullshit and piece together their own reality and make it so much harder for all of us. And, you know, to the point where 
Sometimes I feel like hands up, you know? It is always ironic that the demographic of people who are all about history and, you know, here's what the Confederate flag really represents and don't try and erase our history and all this stuff. You can't see the parts of history that are like, okay, this is why we need reparations because of 300 years of, of unpaid labor followed by Jim Crow, followed by, you know, by, by, uh, speed bumps put in the way at every, at every single thing. You don't, you're not, you know, you don't know about Tulsa, uh, Oklahoma in 1921. You don't know about the black wall street bombing. Like, you know, why are you talking about history when you don't know that we are a country that has been built on riots and and unfortunately it's been built on violence and blood and bones of 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 native and african people but also like whenever people wanted more rights they've always had to fight for it every 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 concession every step of the way uh you know black people being able to vote black people being free it's always had to be a fight every step of the way this is no different and guess what it doesn't have to be a fight hold cops accountable get them better training take their funding put it into other you know i'm not i'm, I'm preaching the choir here yeah you know, of course but, of yeah. course yeah but well, hopefully yeah. i mean and i know that this is something i feel like all of the outlets that i'm sure the three of us listen to continuously uh continue to talk at you know if there's any way to change the mindset of someone, you know, I mean, like, wow, did I, was I able to do this? But I feel like that we've lost that ability. There seems to be no swaying anymore where, because we're not, you know, you keep seeing all these memes and stuff like that. Like, you know, I will agree to disagree with you about if Coke or Pepsi is better. You know what I mean? Or agree to disagree with you if you like Chicago or New York style pizza. But I am not agreeing to disagree with you. If you fucking think it's okay for a cop to shoot an unarmed black man in the street. Uh, and, and like speaking of color, I think another common trope of horror films is, you know, when there's a black character, they're usually the one that dies first, right? I think that was for many, many years that happened. Oh, yeah. um, but here in Halloween 20, 2018, we only have really two black characters, neither of who are major, major characters, but they... They both survive, so there's something, right? Well, yeah, but they were, they were minute, and, you know, they got to stay in there. But I just want to piggyback really quickly on uh, Mike's bit about the Confederate flag. So in August, uh, Al Franken on his podcast had uh, Susan Nyman. She's a uh, German Holocaust uh, and American, uh, uh, you know, she, she writes about them. She has all these books about what had transpired during the Holocaust and where Germany was with the Nazi. On those Say that again. She's like a scholar on those. Correct. Things? So, uh, she has all this stuff put into place where she writes about all the history of the Holocaust, how the Nazi party came about and so on and so forth. And she discusses and a question comes up about how many Nazi, uh, statues are in Germany? And the answer is zero because they were treasonous. They were against the country. People tend to not realize that the Nazi party was not all of Germany. They were a group of people who thought they were better than the rest and they were better than the Jews. And so they took over and did what horrible things they did. The same thing is with the Confederacy. They are not a part of American history. They are a part of Confederacy history. That's who they are. They are treasonous. They are against the country. They wanted to succeed from the from the United States. That's their whole purpose. So for that to even be utilized as a reason 
to keep their statues up because it's American history is total bullshit. It's racist history that people want to keep going and are not willing to stop it because this is who they are. There's no Nazi. There's no fucking Adolf Hitler uh, statues, you know, statues (laughs) in Germany because he was a fucking terrorist. Yeah. Yeah. And sure. that 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 our fucking forty five orange honey boo boo has decided that that's a part of our history is more absurd to me than anything. And when it comes to people who tell me, "Well, I like some things that Trump does," we're fucking done. Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah. I think I think we're all kind of in the the same boat with that. Can we talk about how the cops are represented in the movies too? The, to me, like you know, the first cop again doesn't believe Loomis, Annie's dad. You know, another one, and he's like, oh, I'm not going to waste my time standing here in the bushes looking uh, yeah, for sure. the boogeyman. Correct. You know what I mean? Like, again, this complete failure to believe. I mean, why would this doctor, this psychiatrist travel all the way to this shit little town, you know, to, to spy on this house where Mike Myers killed his sister for just shits and giggles and that the police will take this seriously and then five people are killed. And like, was there any retribution to that? Was there recourse on that where they were like, you know what? You guys fucked up. Of course he not. warned you. No. And this is what happens. You know, these young people were killed. And then fast forward into 2018, you know, the doctor in that situation obviously wind up being someone who idolized Mike Myers. Uh, but the, the sergeant in this oh, situation was there in 78. He understood the dynamic and was willing he was like this is what needs to have happen however though it seemed so minimal like there's there's a crazed murderer why is there not like a hundred cops out why is there no helicopters out why is there no massive force the fucking national guard a black dude's walking down the street and people are questioning him left and right but a white guy is going through this nice little town going into people's houses and chopping them up while Halloween trick-or-treating is happening and no one knows the wiser. And that's really where I'm like, wait a minute. First, they didn't believe. Second, they believed, but there wasn't the kind of response that warranted this situation. Yeah, and that's common in all of the films too. In uh, in you know Halloween four, there is a new sheriff. Brackett has since retired, but like he at least believes Loomis and he goes with him personally. But um. You know, there are. Mo- I'm not sure if it's four or five, but there's a moment in which Michael kills like the whole police station. Yeah, right, right, yeah. right. right. <laughs> he kills the whole police station, and it's up to a bunch of rednecks with guns to now to now be the heroes and and take <laughs> care of Michael Myers. It's up to like you know vigilantes and stuff like that. Michael isn't even like he's not afraid of the cops, which is an interesting thing. It's almost like he knows, like, listen, I'm gonna get a good amount of killing done tonight uh, before you know before they catch me. He um. You know, even in H2O, the there are cops across the street from the house he's in, and he's actively killing a woman who, that woman is actually the nurse from the first movie. They brought her back for H2O. It was really cool. And and Jamie Lee, oh, Janet Lee was featured. Janet Lee, is that Jamie Lee Curtis's mom? Janet Lee, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Janet Lee also had a role in H2O. Uh, but what were you going to say? I, it kind of almost goes to, like, back to capitalism a little bit, where they don't want to shut down Halloween to save people's lives, right? Like... Officer Hawkins in 2018 tells, I think, the mayor or, or whatever the town, you know, that 
that Michael. I think he's like the chair. Sure, yeah, I don't know. Whatever he is, he. Whatever. Yeah, he. Um, you know that Michael Myers is on the loose, and they're, they're talking about shutting down for Halloween, and he kind of laughs, right? Like it's it's not going to happen, and we're going to tell the people they can't go out. Yeah, he's like, "What are we going to do? Shut down Halloween?" Yeah, like it's no big deal, you know. Cancel Halloween, and it's a perfect disguise for Michael Myers. You know, people are going to parties, they're dressing up, they're getting candy, so no one's going to think twice to see him walking around, going house to house, and you know, people are hearing about it and like, "Yeah, okay, I'll lock my doors." Like, no one's, you know, no one's taking it really that seriously. Um, and, and and of course, Michael is able to literally go on this one block, house to house, and just murder all these people. Uh, and, and, you know, it, it, it's a perfect cover. I would like to point out that, uh, they do kind of do a good job of like when that, when the chief does or sheriff, the cop with the hat, oh, he's Sheriff Barker. He is a sheriff. Okay. There we go. Uh, when, when the sheriff does, uh, meet, um, Hawkins and, uh, and Dr. Sartain in the, in the hospital, he, he does say like, oh, we found most of the, most of the escapees. Like one of them was at a library checking their email. The other one, you know, the others were holding hands, frolicking through the field, chasing butterflies. Like I did like that because it was very much like, oh, well, you know, Michael Myers is the exception. Yeah. For the most part, you know, they're just people who need help. Uh, but then again, in the beginning, they did show them all losing their minds. Um, you know, the one guy with the umbrella was made to be weird. But guess what? They were all standing in the fucking sun. Why doesn't everyone have an umbrella? <laughs> yeah, um, for sure. And they're yeah. and they're and they're they're chained up to those giant anvils. Yeah, it's really disgusting. <laughs> it, it is. Um, he's like, oh, they get exercise and a great diet. I'm like, dude. What the, are you seeing where you work right now? <laughs> yeah, I was like, exercise. They're tied to anvils. I mean, Michael has been doing something because he is jacked. He doesn't Facts. look it, but he's got a lot of lot of functional strength. He's doing CrossFit or something. Um, <laughs> Listen, he's, stu- he's stuck in a circle with nothing to do. Of course he's working out. Lucky him. COVID has not had me fucking working out. <laughs> Yeah, me neither. Uh, the sheriff then follows up by saying, oh, Michael Myers on the loose with a bunch of nutbags. That's great. And I'm like, damn it, man, you had it. You had yeah, it. Yeah. Uh, I, I will also link in the show notes to um, a study of average police response time where we live. Uh, well, New York City, New York isn't, you know, isn't New York, uh, you know, isn't Long Island. But, um, you know, six six point six nine minutes is the average response time. Fastest time is five point four six. That's in San Francisco. Slowest, and this is as of twenty nineteen, I believe, is Fort Worth, Texas, nine point five minutes. Um, so so it is interesting just to take a look at that and be like, you know, Michael's definitely taking advantage of that. And then also there is this narrative. I know my fiance's father has mentioned it a couple times. He's like, oh, well, if you want to defund the police, he thinks it means abolish them. Um, you know, if you want to dismantle all the police, then what about, uh, you know, when crimes happen? Who's going to show up? Blah, blah, blah. But like, you know, we've talked about it before, I think. Usually they show up after the crime has already been. Yes. Committed. Yeah. I mean, like, well, this movie goes to show you, just like in real life, they they can't handle the situation, right? There's a guy walking around with a knife, and they can't even stop him. It's up to Lori and her her family to to finally yeah. finish his his night of mass murdering. Like these police, like even though they may seem a little more competent, they still can't get the job done. I mean, no, not at all. I mean, maybe they were abolished, but who knows? Maybe they're only working with a third of the <laughs> group that they had before, fucking world. defunded, and you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they could put a little ticker tape on the bottom. This police force was defunded by the immig- by immigrants, uh, you know, socialists, you know, like whatever they want to. It was all their fault. Whoever they want to blame. I, I do have a question for you, uh, for both of you. You know, Officer Hawkins hits Michael Myers with his car, and then he says he's going to blow his fucking head off. How do you feel about that? Do you do you think that Michael Myers deserves to die 
um, at the hands of the police. Well, my whole thing was what, you know, I'm like, yeah, fucking kill him. And then the doctor's like, he's already dead. You killed him, blah, blah, blah. But we know all that, how that, the infatuation that's transpiring between the two of them. But you know what? I got to tell you, yeah, he should have died. It should have ended right there because there's nothing stopping this guy and it has to end. Now, again, I'm not pro death penalty, but pro slasher film death penalty, (laughs) I'm okay with. This guy fucking killed all these people and it's continuously. And again, if that mask was darker, we'd be in a different situation. Right, right. Oh, yeah, they would have had him. And Mike, how about you? Uh, You know, yeah, my answer to that is uh, I'm, I'm conflicted just like I was when we watched Watchmen. Because in Watchmen, the police were actually the good guys, and it was very uh, weird to see that reverse. Sort of. And, uh, and we're, seeing, we're seeing that here, too. Like, he is, he's not going to, you know, through the justice system. He doesn't want to give Michael a, you know, uh, you know, trial by jury of his peers or anything. Um, sorry, I just thought of, like, a jury of his peers, and you have, like, Leatherface and Jason. <laughs> <laughs> I got to tell you, Mike, you the defendant? Mike, Somebody I needs kid to draw you that, not, please. I kid you not, yeah, and I hate yeah, to okay. interrupt, that was literally the vision in my head just now. I had <laughs> Freddy, amazing. Jason, Texas Chainsaw, and I actually had Evil Dead in there as well, nice. so we were just mixing it all up. Oh, there you go. Yeah, get some deadites and stuff. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, think, I think that we're pro... I mean, I've said it before. Whenever we watch Copaganda, we're always on the side of the cops because the story puts them in that yeah. way. Mm-hmm. You know, we see Elliot Stabler lose his shit on someone in SVU, and we're for it because we know that person is a rapist. Right. Um, you know, we know that these people have done bad things, so we're pro-cops doing mm-hmm. bad things to them. Mm-hmm. So obviously, yeah, in this movie, I know Michael Myers. I know that he deserves to be killed. Um, I know he deserves to be killed by Lori, if anything. But mm-hmm. I mean, you know, if you could prevent a couple deaths, yeah, run, run the mother. I mean, I just I bring it up because you know. I know we've we've discussed on this yeah. podcast before that cops should not be judge, jury, and executioner. That nobody, no all. matter the crime they've committed, deserves to be uh, to be killed. But you know, without without a trial, you know, not even talking about death penalty, like just killed on the street. Um, and you know, Michael Myers is obviously evil, as they say. But you know, he's only out because of the incompetence of the state again, right? Like he should have, he should have been contained. He should have been in prison. Um, you know, they should have been able to help stop him from the beginning. And at the point that he's run over and almost killed, he's actually not committing a crime at the moment, right? He's just walking down the street. So you know, I think you know when we talk about all all these police shootings and and things like that, you do have to kind of think about that in the back of your head. Yeah, you know, from a movie standpoint. Kill the motherfucker, but if this is real life, they probably shouldn't kill him, right? So I, it's just something that I thought of when that scene happened. Um, and, and like you said, we were, we're made to cheer for the cop, right? And and obviously we are. You know, he seems like he's a good guy in the movie. He wants to stop Michael Myers, who's who's killing people. But you know, how many times does this happen? And and that person doesn't deserve to die. So I don't know. Just a thought I had. And he has black friends. Yeah, he does have black friends. He has black friends. He's playing the Back to the Future pinball machine, and you know, I mean that. It's interesting. I think I think they made that very. Uh, I think they did that on purpose. For sure. Yeah. I I don't know. You know what? Last last thing I'll ask you, Mel, is um, like, what would you have liked to have seen as far as representation in this film goes? Because when I was talking to Ty, I was like, well, they could have made her boyfriend black, but then also her boyfriend is portrayed as an asshole, and in the deleted scenes, he actually gets arrested. Right. Um, you know, do we make do we make it that Lori, uh, the father of, of of Karen, is is mixed, or maybe Karen's husband is black? But then again, he's a doofus, and and he gets uh, you know, he gets yeah. killed anyway. They could have made Vicky, uh, or like, they they could have made Dave black. And then Vicky gets killed. Like it, it's it's a tough call because 
you know, like I said at the beginning, film is a lot more powerful than people give it credit for. So when we watch it, do we, you know, do we not react to these uh, black people being murdered, hypothetical black people in this movie being murdered because um, it's a slasher film? But does that then make us not care in real life? Or do we make one of the main protagonists black, which might seem forced? What what would you have suggested? You know, uh, what do you think, Mel? Well, me personally, because whenever you see a black person in any of these type of films. It's mainly the dummy who's going to get killed early or mm-hmm. the person who is causing all the havoc or just some random passerby. It's never in the situation that that person is the heroine. The one who is being able to defeat this evil. And Which is why Jordan Peele's movies are correct. You know, they are. They're correct. And Jordan you know? Peele coming to where he is now uh, has opened that door to where it's not the blacks being uh, the ones who are causing the horror. It's the ones that the horror is coming to. And it's poignant in this time to understand what that represents. And in these type of films, and you know, you can go through an entire filmography of different things where you'll be looking at where these black People are put into these little pockets in these movies, and it's never as a heroine, ever. Yeah, Romero's the only one who really was fair about that when he did Dawn of the Dead and Night of the Living Dead, not yep. in that order, obviously. You know, but making black protagonists, he was like the only one to really think of that. And that mm-hmm. what was that tie? That was in the fifties or so? I'm looking at my phone right now. Yeah, like I'm yeah, it should have been fifty eight. <laughs> yeah, so that was the, that was even before Halloween. Yeah, so okay, yeah. no, I I definitely I definitely like that. Um, you know, I have I have a lot more notes, and you'll but they're mostly just story related, not necessarily social. I think I'm sorry, sixty eight, sixty eight, nineteen sixty eight. Okay, so it's Tyler, you failed Halloween. us. I know. I'm sorry. I said fifty eight <laughs> because we were saying fifties, but it's definitely sixty eight. You know, they do have this great line in H where she's arguing with her son Josh Hartnett uh, who plays John Um, Mm -hmm. and he says like I'm not responsible for you which I think you know if you've ever grown up with parents who are going through some shit Mm -hmm. that is something that you relate to and they really brought that into into this story very well. I I do want to point out there's some really cool things they do in 2018 to kind of flip the the genre on its head a little bit and they they did an h2o as well uh where like Lori is almost becoming the hunter instead of the prey right like there, yeah. there's the part where she gets knocked over the balcony and michael myers gets distracted he looks back and she's gone right now he doesn't know well, where also because she, she makes that comment she says i've been praying for years for him to break out and they ask her why and she goes so i can kill him yeah yep and like in H two O, right? There's a part where she drops down behind him with the axe, and like he didn't know where she was. And I thought that was great, you know. Uh, she's kind of taking the power back, and that's that's become a theme of her last few appearances, you know, to 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 fight back against him. Um, I also thought there was a great line in there where you know we talked about it earlier um, about the family and and how you know um, Lori's daughter was taken away from her, and she's having a great conversation with her granddaughter because. Her granddaughter has been kept away from her. You know, the mom doesn't invite her to, to family events anymore. And the granddaughter really wants to spend time with Lori. You know, she she wants to see her. Um, and, and, you know, her granddaughter asks her, like, you know, about about all the experiences that, that her mom and Lori faced together. You know, and she, and she says to her, um, you know, the way she raised her made her hate her. That's fine as long as she was prepared for the horrors of the world. And I, and I thought that was great because, you know, 
uh, obviously it ruined their relationship, but you know, it, she was trying to make her prepared in her own way. She was trying to show her love and maybe it didn't always come across that way. And I think we could all kind of have had those experiences with family where they, they don't show us love in the traditional sense, but you know, they, they do have a way of, of showing it that they mean well, even if it, it doesn't do what, what they'd hoped it would do uh, for us. No, those are really, really great points. And, you know, they do bring up the whole psychological aspect of it. And Karen is very much so like, you know, the world is full of, of uh, peace and understanding and happiness. And uh, she's not wrong, but she's not right. Right. And, yeah. ne and neither is Lori. I do think that there is a moderation of both that we do have to believe in people and we do have to take care of each other. But we have to understand that not everybody has, has that mentality. Yep. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and uh, Karen, you know, she, and this is going back to what I said about, you know, when you take the mask off, you're just a little bitch boy, right? Like Karen ends up having to resort to using her gun that she learned how to shoot as a child because guess what? She doesn't know where her mom is. She could be dead. And now she has to protect her own daughter. So yeah. Everything that she was taught is coming to handy. And she plays the victim, which is so great here. It's awesome. Because Michael doesn't appear until she thinks, until he thinks she's a Yeah. Player. She's like, I can't and do it. Mom, know. save us. Right. It's, it's this great yeah. scene. But it goes back to now she realizes what her mother was preparing her for. Yep. She is ready. Right. She tried to fight against that, but she is ready. And, yep. and she shoots him. Right. She hits him. One shot. She gets him. Gotcha. I, I, I love yeah. it. The last point I wanted to make was about Michael Myers' mask. Um, so, you know, in, in the first one, you know, it's, it's uh, I believe it's a William Shatner mask they use, right? They spray painted it Correct. white or painted it white. Correct. And it's mm -hmm. become such an iconic part of horror, right? People dress like that for Halloween every year. Um, they even take the time to kind of age the mask in 2018. Um, and I think mm -hmm. what's kind of interesting is that like Michael uses that mask, like, it, it, like, you know how Batman, Bruce Wayne's really Batman, not Bruce Wayne. It's like kind of like that for right, Michael. Yes. Like once he yeah. becomes under the mask, that's his true self. You know, he kills his, his sister in a mask, a different mask, but still a mask. And then once he the gets that mask. mask back in 2018, you know, he hunts down the podcasters to get it. And then he puts it on. You like, you see him kind of like caressing it almost for a minute before he puts it on. Like yeah. it's this you know it's very like it's a, his lover yeah it's powerful to him it gives him back yeah. his strength and and now he's able to go after Lori and, and everyone because he has this mask and i thought that was a, a really interesting way to kind of show that but even as a little boy when he grabs that clown mask and puts it on you know it's almost like you could see because that shot again uh through the actual cut out whole eyes of that mask once he puts that mask on, you kind of see his the body gesture, even though you're looking through his uh, lens, where he's almost like a sigh of relief, like, <sighs> like okay, yeah. I'm me yep. now. Yep. And now I can mm -hmm. behave as me and do what I need to do for me. And when the father rips the mask off, once they get him outside, it's almost like he is then transformed into the person who doesn't speak. I'm now shut down, and this is where I'm at, yeah. and I will be completely he, blank. He's like stripped of his identity almost. It's it's uh, definitely unsettling. Yeah, same in you know in in the '78 film at the end, Laurie rips that mask off of him, and he yeah. takes the time to put it back yep. on. And yeah. that's you know kind of what allows it. Kind of it makes him on. distraught in the hallway when it comes off. Like it's almost a frantic yeah. moment where you see him lose his bearings and he drops his knife and he gets the, the mask back on and he puts it on as quickly as possible and gets up so that he can regain himself and get himself like, you know, standard and ready for what he needs to do. Uh, and he's taken aback for those few moments. 
Yeah, it's like a protection for him. Yeah, and that's the kind of humanization I do like to see. You know, you don't need to show him as a kid going through trauma and all this other stuff like they did in the zombie films. You know, but we did mention before how he's always putting these, uh, the bodies in these, like, tableaus and these displays and everything. And uh, one of the notes that the actor, I believe, of 2018 was uh, was given was, like, think of how a cat hunts. Think of how a big cat hunts and move like that cat. Mm. And that's kind of what Michael Michael did. But he isn't a predator. He is a human because, you know, actual natural predators don't play with their prey. I mean, some of, I mean, they do play with their prey, but they're not going to, like, leave them, like, you know, displayed right. in, in, a, in an artful fashion. And that, that is what shows that, that, that he is evil. Yeah. It's not just him, sur- you know, surviving. You know, mm-hmm. obviously he doesn't have to, but, but it, is, it is him being evil. And, um, you know, when you brought up the whole him getting his mask from the gas station, I really love that scene because nobody, he's in plain sight. He's hiding in plain sight and he doesn't fit in, but nobody is looking for yeah. him. Yeah. And, you know, it's the same thing in the first one. And I think it's the same thing now that we are looking for certain enemies. Meanwhile, we do have white supremacists hiding in plain sight. I, I know that Michael's not meant to portray white supremacists, but we talked about that a lot here. Like, what are you what are you made to be afraid of versus what should you be yeah, afraid of? Yeah, it all ties of? together. Should you be afraid of the idea of, yeah, protesters marching down your street and burning your house down? No, because it's not going to happen. They don't want your fucking house in the suburbs. They want justice. Yeah. And, and accountability, and, and that's it. You should really be worried about the people who are going to be vigilantes and bringing guns to these things to, you know, specifically looking looking for trouble. The Kyle Rittenhouses um, of the world. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yep. What did you, uh, how did you guys feel about the, the, the humor in this film? Because uh, there's not really much in the 78 version, uh, but there, there's a, quite a Other bit. Other than the, when he puts the, the, the sheet over it. That was pretty yeah, funny. Yeah, I. I don't think they meant it to be, though. It, it just it just wound up being funny, but it is. Oh, I laughed. I laughed hysterically. Oh, yeah, that's fucked up. No, that wasn't. I mean, it probably I you know, was funny, but. Uh... But, yeah, like, there's a lot of humor in this movie, you know? Like, Vicky's very funny. The boy she's babysitting is really funny. You know, there's, there's a lot of. I liked it. I did, too. It breaks the tension a bit. Exactly, and that's why. But it's a very modern move, I think, for horror movies, right? That's kind of like what, what we do it now. It is. Yeah, I mean, I watched Us recently, the the other uh, Jordan Peele flick, the follow-up from Get Out, and there was a lot of humor thrown in there, and in the behind the scenes, he did mention, like, he does that because, you know, it, it does cut the tension a bit and allows the, you know, the viewer to have a little bit of a respite from the terror. Um, I think in Halloween it was used well because the terror was so high. I remember that last scene where Lori and Michael are having their cat and mouse in the house, uh, Rhyme Unintentional, and... They, um, you know, I was, I was like on the edge of my seat. I was clutching my armrests and I was scared for the first time in years. I was scared watching a movie and, and I, you know, so that way I did like the, the, the humor that was thrown in every now and then. And, you know, Michael has a sense of humor. So why shouldn't we, he fucking made a dude's skull into a jack-o'-lantern. Yeah. You know, he, he, he loves what he does <laughs> and, and clearly so do the writers. I can't wait to see how Halloween kills comes out. I do hope it will be the last film. At least focusing on Michael Myers. I think they're doing two more. You know, I, I, I that's what I heard. They are doing two. You're right. There's Halloween Kills, and then there's the one after that. It's like Halloween Dies or something. Tw- uh, 2022 Halloween ends, and then the next one is uh, Halloween Kills, which is supposed to come out next week. The, yeah, yeah, but they whatever. had to push it Let's, back. So. You know. Um, but yeah, so this was awesome, guys. Thanks so much for for making the time to be on this podcast. Thank uh, you for having me. Out, you know. Oh, it, it was an absolute pleasure. I can't wait to ha- uh, can't wait to have you on some other ones. Uh, you know, it's normally between the two of us. I'm the one who does most of the talking mm-hmm. between Ty and myself. Mm-hmm. So it was good to take a break and just kind of let you know let you share share your thoughts and hang oh, out. awesome, absolutely. 
I'm I'm looking forward to whatever we do from here. And uh, you know, I I thank you thank you both both for being a part of it. Any closing thoughts, Mel? Uh, my closing thoughts is I know those out there who are a believer in not voting for the lesser of two evils, but remember Roe v. Wade is on the table, and this is not a time to think about these things. We we need to. This is not a test. We need to allow women to choose their own bodies. And what they do with cool. them. Cool. Any any thoughts about Halloween in particular? Or uh, my thoughts about Halloween is hand sanitizer. No, sanitize I mean anything. I mean the Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's I, there's very few movies that the person who wrote it directed it and did the music. So for 1978, I got to tell you that is pretty spectacular. Uh, you know, it just it didn't happen. You know, writing the entire score is, is, a, is a really big deal. And, yeah. you know, I appreciate what was done in that film. I appreciate Jamie Lee Curtis's role in the film, you know, and how she's evolved. I mean, I do think she's still a fucking punk and she should have manned up better in the first one. But obviously, Lori if we would. Jamie Lee Curtis. Well, a little bit of both. Lori. Lori but it's <laughs> like if we. If, if, if she would have manned up, we would have nothing to talk about. So that's a reality check, you know what I mean? So go. it's like there's no way that that could have been the scene. However, though, I got to tell you for the 18-1 and for where women stand and the ability of, you know, getting back and being able to uh, be able to say, you know what, fuck you. I'm not allowing you to terrorize me anymore really, really takes hold in this situation. And I, I appreciate that it went full circle. And that it definitely closed that gap and situation for those who have watched all the way through. So I appreciated it tremendously. Fantastic. And Ty, what about you? Uh, number one, being a soldier, I want to remind people that uh, they are going to be voting on the Supreme Court, whether Biden wins or not, uh, because they're going to do it before Election Day. So while I do understand Roe v. Wade is very important, I don't think it's going to matter come election day because they're already gonna well be doing it as, as i as i as i now be annoying ty and I, and I apologize in advance unless they all get covid and they don't show up for congress this isn't happening that's, that's how we all we all gotta hope for covid covid's the only uh, hero we have so now. i'm hoping for co i'm voting covid um but uh, the great yes but about halloween they are great um i love the original i love 2018 i thought it was a fantastic sequel i think they really um did a great job making it modern, but while staying true to the original story, uh, it's got some great music, some great tension building, um, and uh, Michael Myers is a very scary ent- ent- entity. I think I think I think you uh, you know you both said it pretty well. We said most things there are to say about these films. I'm looking forward to the next ones, and um, you know I, I just love the lore in general. Speaking about it and uh, being able to relate it to real world situations. So Mel, thank you so much for being on the Politipop podcast with us. We greatly appreciate it. Can't wait to see you again. All right, listeners, you can uh, listen to us, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Please go to YouTube. You'll find uh, special content, including out uh, outtakes. There's quite a few from this episode. And uh, you can find us on Twitter at PolitipopPod. Thanks so much for all of our new followers. We just broke 700 today. And, uh, you know, remember, uh, no comrades left behind. Hashtag no comrades under 1K. Uh, you can find us on Instagram at PolitipopPodcast. Email us at PolitipopCast at gmail.com. Find our show notes and sources at PolitipopPodcast.wordpress.com because we don't just pull this shit out of nowhere. And uh, really a special thanks to all of you listeners and followers and uh, to Antonio Chava for logo design. For the Politipop Podcast, I've been Mike Booch. I've been Ty. And I'm Mel. 
Uh, and remember, no matter what you're listening to, what you're watching, what you're choosing to scare yourself with this month, never stop thinking, never stop learning, and always remember to read between the lines. And scene. There he is.